What's up, Fast Brackets podcast listeners? This is Luke Bogacki for ThisIsBracketRacing.com. I want you to take a minute to think about the biggest round that you can envision staging for. Maybe it's the top sportsman final at this year's U.S. Nationals. Maybe it's the round to determine the PDRA Top Dragster Championship. Maybe it's first round this weekend. Regardless, there is real emotion, maybe even some anxiety that comes with that huge round. You've invested a ton to get to that point. You deserve to have confidence that you're putting the best version of yourself into the beams. That's where we can help, by providing increased understanding with an emphasis on execution. That big round I've been there, or somewhere close to it. So have my instructors, Kevin Brannon and Justin Lamb. We each have ways of not only dealing with that pressure, but reframing it to our advantage. Exclusively for Fast Brackets listeners, we're giving away one of my favorite mental game trainings for free. To take advantage, visit thisisbracketracing.com slash fastpressure. Again, that's thisisbracketracing.com slash fast pressure. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. It is episode number 13. It is the third week in July, and it is hot out. Uh, good news. I am back to my surly self. Um... I'll assume the heat has something to do with it. Um, you know, that, that's got to be part of it. I don't, I don't like to stay in a good mood for all that long a time. So, so I think we're back to normal, um, you know, and, uh, you know, we, I don't think we're going to have any more Ric Flair takes today, but uh, it's never out of the question. Um, we, we can always add some Ric Flair um, so that that's good. We may do that, but uh, we do have to address one thing here today. So, um, as always, we we welcome our listeners from Pure Horsepower News, and we got a little feedback from the pedal tractor pull um, uh, championships that I won over the years. And so, uh, if if you are uh, just tuning in from Pure Horsepower News, and this is your first time. Go back to episode number 11. Understand why we are so excited to have you be a part of our programming. And then also just give it a couple weeks. Hang in there. Um, You'll get the rhythm. You'll get it. You'll understand. But when I talked about being the goat of pedal tractor pulling, um, I got this feedback. And it came to me from Andy Camp, uh, from one of the best race car painters in all of Indiana, if not the world. But Andy said to me, he goes, Rex, you are a big guy. You are six foot four. You are 240 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. Of course, 
You are Ganesh Stroy, all those other little kids. Of course, you were bigger, badder, meaner, and more stubborn than everybody else. And of course, that's why you have the trophies to prove it. And so I had to correct him. And I huh, I cannot believe we're talking about this twice. I would have never guessed we would have talked about it once. But I got to tell you. Um, so if you go back um, between... At, look at me um, at, let's call it three years old. From the time I was three years old to the time I was five years old, I legitimately wore the Forrest Gump metal leg braces. So doctors were very concerned about my gait. And um, not only that, but from the time I was five to the time I was 12, I had to wear these special shoes that had these big wedges on it. I had severe toe in for our alignment guys out there. And um, not one person would have ever guessed that I would have won a single athletic competition. Not my doctors, probably not my parents, not any of my neighbors who watched me hobble around, um, let alone would any of those people bet money that I would have ultimately become a division one basketball player. Uh, not one. Um, so, what I will tell you is, Andy, and I tell everyone else, is that it had a lot more to do with uh, my stubbornness and competitiveness than just my sheer size. Um, I grew, truthfully, after I graduated and filled out um, much more than I did ever before I was in high school and college. But, uh, you know, that that's a fair statement. I am, I am larger than, let's call it, 80% of the people that I walk around uh, next to and interact with. Um, I'm not typically scared of anyone, but I wasn't always that way. And those accomplishments were pretty big. I will also tell you this uh, other feedback I got um, from my mother. She said, by the way, there's a bunch of big wheel trophies up in the attic, too, that you need to come and get out of my house. So, um, mom, dad, do not go up into the attic that dip in the ceiling that is up there with all those trophies sit will be fine until I can get back and come and take that weight off your rafters. Um, just hang tight. What I don't need is adding affiliate, um, which would have been, a, is a really good thing from the pure horsepower news to turn into medical expenses and remodeling expenses of my parents' house. So hang tight with that. I will come get those when I, I get back home. Um, now on to our today's show. It is smoking hot. Um, we have a great episode. We have Al Peebler, who is a perennial pole position contender in division three top dragster. And we also have John DeFlorian, who is a mountain motor pro stock standout. I'm really excited about having those guys on today. Uh, but before we get at it, I love the feedback. I love the feedback that Andy gave me. I love the feedback that my mom gave me, uh, but uh, I want to hear from you guys. So uh, get at me um, on Twitter. That is at Fast Brackets. You can like, follow, share the Facebook page called The Fast Brackets Podcast, um, but keep it up. Uh, I like your messages. I like the thoughts. Um, it's all great stuff. Um, but before we get after it, Let's pull up to the lanes. Let's take a walk around. Let's get strapped in because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get those tires hot. Let's put it in the water box. 
and talk about big money, top sportsmen, and top dragster racing. Hey, we had Tyler Crossno come on. He broke the news on our show and said, hey, at the Shakedown event in the um, here coming up in the fall, it is $7,500 to win that top sportsman event. Um, so that is big news. I think that's a 64-car field pre-entry. Um, and then last week we got the news that Wes Buck is adding $10,000 to win top sportsman and top dragster events at his World Series of Pro Mod next month. Those are big events, um, high high dollars to go essentially four and five rounds, um, six rounds, I guess, at Tyler's um, event for our cars. Um, and springboarding off the back of our conversation last week with Luke Bogaki about the big money bracket events that are happening multiple times next year and, and multiple times this year and just seems to be going that event. The question is, are you down with the higher entry fees and larger purse structure? So I think that given the money that we have in our machines, I think that is a good way to go about it. Not a bad. I think it's, I think it's better for all of us. Um, but what do you think? Do you like the high entry fees and high payouts? Does that make more sense for, to you? Um, I think it's perfectly suited for it. I mean, Luke talked about the average bracket racer having about $70,000 invested into their operation. Certainly, top sportsmen and top dragster have much larger numbers invested in their operations than that. So, in my opinion, it makes even more sense to have some of these high dollar events. So, um, you know, on a percentage basis, if you're traveling anyway, you might as well go for bigger dollars. And I think ultimately I'm all for it for this. I think I love the eyeballs that higher dollars bring to the table um, and to our classes. And I'm, I'm not ready to really throw it out there just yet. I would, I feel like when I break this down, it's going to be very much like, um, Back to the Future, when uh, Alex P. Keaton is up there ripping Chuck Berry, and none of those kids understand what's going on. I think we're a little bit ahead of the game for that. But there is a potentially huge shift in the landscape coming up for our classes in the next couple of years that will change the financial dynamics of how the purses come to be for these classes and how they're paid out. Um there's a couple things coming together which will be fantastic for our classes. We'll probably get into that at a later time. It's really not the purpose of our show today, but I think these are really good things that are happening for our classes and these higher dollar amounts um, for these these one-off events is really, really good. Um, I'd love your feedback. Let me know what you think. Um, I'm for it, but uh, let me know. All right, well, let's put it in the beams. From Alney, Illinois, the home of the White Squirrels, he was your 2010 VP Fuels Quick Series champion. He was also your 2012 Ten Tuck Series champion at Bowling Green. He is your 2016 NHRA 
Division Three Top Dragster Champion, and most recently was your 2018 PDRA Top Dragster winner at Martin, Michigan. Welcome to the show, Al Peevler. Hey, Rex. Good to be on with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, hey, you are a perennial contender to go to that number one spot in Division Three Top Dragster, which arguably is the toughest division in the world. Um, why don't you, before you talk about how tough it is to compete in there, take us way back and talk about how you got started in drag racing. Okay, I got a 69 Camaro back in high school. And, you know, every kid thinks he's got a fast car. Well, a couple of my buddies, we decided to run up to Coles County in Charleston, Illinois, and we were going to race our cars. Well, I got up there and got on the track, and, and I got pretty hooked on drag racing. And, uh, you know, being a young kid with no money, we tinkered and tried to make uh, the best of what we had. And, you know, we'd have a little grudge races between us. And, you know, we tried to go up there. Oh, once a month or something like that. I did that all through high school. And then, uh, oh, probably about 90, 91, I bought a old 71 Vega with a 454. And, uh, you know, it was a 720s car back then. And, man, I thought I had the world by the tail. I thought that thing was just as fast. And I raced the Coles County a little at Terre Haute uh, and did a little bit of that for about a year and a half and was terrible. I was an absolute horrible drag racer back then. My equipment wasn't very good, so we, you know, I didn't have any money to spend on it. So I, uh, I kind of put that aside and raised my kids. And then again, in uh, about 2003, I got a, a good friend here in town, and he had a, a tube chassis Lumina uh, built by Jesse Plant Race Cars uh, there in Indiana, and I and I bought that from him, Turnkey, and that's when I got uh, back in drag racing. I, uh, I got hooked. We was running like 580s and i was racing at coles county little lions indiana and Terre Haute, and just having a blast and that's that's really where i got uh, back to going with good cars that i had a competitive uh i thought i had a competitive advantage you know uh, the cars were a lot better than i had before and uh, that's kind of where i got started in, in the direction i'm going now yeah well you you know i have an affinity for luminas i like those those dudes but when did you move over to the dark side <laughs> oh, I ran that car for uh, uh, better parts of three years, and then I uh, I contacted JB Strawsweg down in Evansville and uh, and was looking to buy a dragster. And lo and behold, they had a dragster big enough to fit me, and I traded my car for a uh, 06 MRJ uh, dragster and put a uh, big block Chevy in it and uh, started racing some local bracket racing. And then I and I kind of learned about the Jake Super Quick series and uh so we put a little kit of nitrous on it and uh i did that for a couple years with that car and really enjoyed the super quick series that's a great place to to race run by nhra we go around to you know tracks all around division three i really enjoyed the series and and, and really got to uh cut my teeth on going fast you know back then 450 was pretty fast in the eighth mile you know right. so uh we uh we enjoyed doing that and then i ended up building me a new uh, 2010 American and uh, started doing a little top dragster race and I wanted to dabble a little bit in there I, I you know the class hadn't gotten to the point it is today it was still a, a class where a guy could run a, a fast bracket car in and, and I ran a few you know I ran a few top dragster races back then and uh, then probably I really started hitting the top dragster scene uh, when I built my new 2013 American and, 
I put big engine motors in it, nitrous, couple kits on it, and uh, I did that. Well, I've been doing that ever since. Yeah, yeah. That I think that super quick series has been a, a tremendous breeding ground for a lot of the the top dragster competitors that we see now. Uh, certainly in Division Three, and I know. Um, you know, it still is. It, it's a it's a good event. It's a qualified field of 32 cars, and I mean, sometimes if you dial 454, you may not make the field in that 32 yeah, car that, field. That, that's exactly right. The uh, there's been a lot of of, of uh, good top dragster drivers that have graduated from the the Jake Super Quick, and I don't know if graduated is the right term or not because it's I feel like it's an even it's an even uh, class of compared to what I am. I just enjoy running quarter mile and running a little bit faster. But that there, there's been several guys. I mean, Philip Oakley, JB, uh, Ed Dudley, myself, Tim. I mean, there's tons of guys that have come from running the Jake Super Quick, and it's just a great place to learn how NHRA works, how to make a car go fast, how to be consistent. And and the people that run that series, I'm telling you what, they're tough. They're, you know, if you think you can go down there with a 20 or 30 light and run two or three above. And when you're you're sorely mistaken, that that top drag or that uh, Jake Super Quick deal, it's it's competitive. Yeah, I I totally agree. Um, yeah, that that is a, a great series, and um, and I think it's reason why Division Three is so good as we as we are now. But at some point, you were running the same car in both series, and then it got to be too much, and you went strictly to the quarter mile. And strictly for top dragster in Division Three. When did you make that shift? And uh, tell us about the car you're driving now. Uh, I, I tried to run both classes. Uh, I actually did it in 2014. Uh, I ran a 700 inch uh, nitrous motor to run top dragster, and I uh, then I ran that same engine in the same car, uh, 2013 American, uh, the same car I still have today. Uh, and I just run it with no nitrous. The car worked really good, uh, not having to spray any nitrous. And I and I actually went to the final round of the final race. If I would have won that, I would have been division champion. But I ended up losing in the finals. Uh, but I really couldn't keep doing that because the division three got so competitive. I mean, if you didn't have a car that you could legit go out go six forty, it was going to be very hard to qualify. Well, it's hard to make a car run four fifty and try to go out and go 640 in the quarter mile. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a totally different setup. So basically in 2015, I made the switch to Pro Charger, put a, a side slinger uh, Pro Charger on it, and I bas- basically just went top dragster and fast bracket racing and, and had to give up the, the 450s. I mean, it's a hard decision to do because I enjoyed bracket racing and I enjoyed going 450. I just enjoyed going fast a little bit more. Yeah, no, makes sense. And since then, you have changed from the side slinger to the crank driven pro charger, correct? Yes, the the, the F one X side slinger that I ran. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty big guy, and my car weighs is, is, is a, it's with me in it. It's it's pretty heavy, and there those are limited on horsepower. You know, if you can get two thousand horsepower out of one of them, that's pretty good. Well, I just couldn't go fast enough. I didn't like qualifying twenty eighth or 29th every week. Mm-hmm. Well, I I made the to switch to a, a, a crank driven which is an f1x12 and picked up you know close to 300 horsepower the, the car runs better and now i'm able to go as fast basically as fast as i need to go uh we have a 610 limit in top dragster 
So I and I can go into the six O's, you know, pretty much on demand. So we have to scale it back a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's a lot more efficient blower and, and this makes a lot more power. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, and that that's how many seasons you've been running that. Uh, this is my second year with the uh, the front drive. I ran the uh, the side slinger for 15, 16, and 17, and then 18. And this year, I've I've run this uh, uh, front drive. Uh, I had kind of a bad year last year for me. I, I I hurt an engine, which I don't normally do, and I didn't I didn't get to race a whole whole lot. But this year, I've uh, I've uh, come out and I've had a pretty good year so far. I haven't really. Uh, I won a little quick eight race up at Muncie and, and haven't really done very well in NHRA. It's been through my own fault. I uh, I made a few changes in the car and uh, I'm just trying to relearn some of the some of the uh, the dial ins in the in the air conditions and stuff like that. But uh, you know the, the the side slinger was a great deal. I mean the guys that are running them are doing very well. There's two or three guys that run real fast with them and. Uh, I just felt my competitive edge was more towards the, the to the race drive. Yeah, and and you've got two of those to maintain, correct? Yes. Yeah, so this uh, this is our second race. Last weekend we were in Joliet running the uh, the divisional up there, and that was my son's second event. On he bought an engine, a 540 uh, race drive, exactly like what I've got, and we put it in his 2016 American. So we have two cars that are wrapped the same, that have the same power plant. And we're trying to when we go racing, we're going you know we're going to try to use that to our advantage to gain more more uh, knowledge of the track and you know try to see if I can watch him go down the track and find out what he's doing and then he can watch me and we can kind of uh, put our head together and, and and use that for our advantage. You you know what they call somebody who gets someone else addicted, right? That, that is essentially a dealer, Al. I, I'm calling you a dealer right now for getting your son addicted to this, just like we all are. So I'm telling you, he, he you know, he he loves drag racing. He's 25 years old. He's a, he's a police officer. He, uh, you know, he's he's he liked driving my car. You know, we had him a, a bracket car. This, this this car we've got had has had a couple different engines in it. You know, and he he really enjoyed racing my car because he enjoyed going fast. He doesn't have the luxury of having a lot of time off. Because he has a he has a real job, unlike me. So, <laughs> so he had to uh, he has to you know balance his time off. So I said, you know what? Why don't we just put a pro charger in yours? Then you can go do what I do. You can set your days. You know when you're going to be racing, and and essentially his car is going to be as fast as mine. He has a little different gear set in the blower, uh, but he's uh, quite a bit smaller guy than I am. So we're trying to get the cars as even as we can on the track. So. I'd say probably by the next time we go out, which is going to be in Topeka in a couple of weeks at their division on the double, uh, we should have his car where he can run six uh, six ten to six twelve like I can. Oh wow, fantastic! And I know that um, your wife is heavily involved in the operation as well. I mean, you, you she works very hard. Talk to a little bit about her and how important she is to the operation. Yeah, my wife Lana. We couldn't race without her. She she takes care of us. She she at the track. She gets us through the water box. She's got a headset on. She's taking care of looking at the car. She packs our parachute. She she cooks our food. I mean, we we could literally not race without her. She works real hard. And you know, sometimes it's me and him both in top direction, and we only have her. So she's pushing my car and pulling his car. And then whenever we get, you know, she parks the golf cart. She runs up to whoever's first, makes sure their tires are set. They're you know, their Hans is latched, 
and she goes out on the track with that one, and then and whoever's next, she runs back and takes care of the next one. And oh yeah, she works real hard. But I'm telling you, she she's a she's one of the big reasons why we run top drags. She loves going to the track. She loves the people we race with. She has a good time. Uh, she's she's as addicted to racing as we are, and that's a good thing in a marriage. We've been married. Uh, you know, going on 31 years, and it's nice to have someone who is, is as passionate at the sport as you are because I'm telling you, it'd be tough at home if she didn't. No question. There's no question about that. Um, well, And besides besides Lon, I mean, there, who else helps you and who, who else, uh, you know, has assisted you with your operation? Well, I mean, as far as, as like, my, my, my family members, you know, my son, my other son, Michael, he, he goes to the track when he can. Blake's uh, girlfriend goes to the track and helps us when they can. But I've got a multitude of, of sponsors. I won't, I won't call them sponsors. I'll, I'll talk about partners that help me with my uh, with my operation. I mean, ProCharger, they're always there on the phone when I need them. Uh, Bruzy Transmissions is always there. Marco's always there to answer my, my silly questions when I have them and to fix stuff when I break it. Uh, instrumental is Joey Hessling up at uh, APD. Them guys built both of our engines. They are they are top notch in what they do in the blow through carburetor deal, and the engines are great. I've got a real good friend in Philip Oakley that is always always at the phone when I need him. Uh, if I you know if I got a question, he's always there to help me through it. I mean, I think American race cars are are, are fantastic cars. I've got a, I formed a new relationship with uh, a buddy of mine, Dean McIlvain, who builds race cars. He's been helping me do a little bit of stuff. Uh, great guy. And then, uh, then then all my other buddy racers, I mean, Tim Papp, Ed Dudley, uh, you know, J.B. Strasweg, and them guys that are at the track, they're always there. Dan Norris, they're always there to help us when we need a problem. I, I, I'd say that racers are kind of a, a close-knit family. You know, your, your enemies on the track, but your best friends off the track. And when you're at the, in the pits, you know, we'll go over and help each other work. And if it wasn't for those guys, it'd be really tough to go to track. I totally agree. Uh, we see it time and time again about uh, someone will loan a part to a guy they have to line up against next round. And, um, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Hey, I, there's been times where I've give guys something and I've had to run them the next round. I've borrowed parts and I've had to run them the next part. I just That's just part of it because I don't want to win that way. I want to earn my win. I mean, you know, we, we do get some gifts once in a while, and it's nice to get them. But if, they're, if you can help somebody out, it always comes back around. I mean, you know, I feel like if I help somebody, somebody's going to be there to help me. Agreed, yep. Uh, so what's next now? What's next for the uh... – Peevler Racing Operation. You've been doing NHRA Division Three. Got anything uh, next here on the schedule? Uh, we're going to try to do uh, the Midwest Pro Mod Series. Uh, they've been running a little bit over here, St. Louis, and uh, kind of maybe in Texas and Memphis and all that. We're going to try to do some more of those. We're going to definitely try to hit a lot of the quick eight races around. As far as immediate future, we're going to go to Topeka next weekend and run their double. Weekend after that, we'll be at St. Louis running the Midwest Pro Mod race. Then I did notice last night that a uh, little home track we have down here called Wagler Motorsports over Lions, and yeah, they're going to put on a on a nice little five thousand dollar to win uh, uh, top sportsman, top dragster race. So I think we may go over and hit that. So you know, our schedule is always full, and it's nice to have options to be able to go and do things with a lot of tracks. We're very fortunate in Division Three that, that Division Three supports a lot of fast bracket racing, 
and uh, you know it brings fans in. Fans like to see guys going, you know, real fast in the eighth mile, popping the parachute, and uh, you know, and 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 we enjoy going to those uh, small tracks as well. All right, so I got to ask you then: when you go to the Midwest Pro Mod Series event, and there is no index that you're going to run up against, are you going to uncork it, or are you going to keep your same setup that you run when you're run division three and have the 610 limitation oh i can you know i may tune it up a little bit i mean i my my stuff's not as fast as a lot of guys there are some guys out there that can go very fast if if some of the guys show up and i've got a chance to get in their little uh, fast four you know i may i may wick it up a little bit i've been three 86 is as fast as I've ever been in the eighth mile, 188. So I, I know I can at least run mid 380s if I need to. And if I, if I get over there and it looks like maybe I got a shot to get in it, I, I may turn it up. That or I may put my skinny driver in my car and I'll drive his. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Hey, Al, thanks so much for coming on. Good luck to you and your family the rest of the season. Uh, appreciate you for doing that. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Rex. Anytime. Today's half-track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. When it's time to make a tough tuning decision, who do you turn to? Of course, you turn to an expert tuner who has seen those conditions before. So when it's time to make a tough legal decision, who do you turn to? Of course, you need Ed Harney at DragRaceLawyer.com. He's a drag racer and someone who has seen those legal conditions before. When you need someone you can trust to give you the proper legal turn tune-up, go to DragRaceLawyer.com. Um, all right, for this week, let's start with the NHRA Division Three event in Chicago, the throwdown at sundown, and on the top dragster side so keep in mind these guys just came off indy a lot of them parked in indy and then just went directly to chicago um and so on the top sportsman side our number one qualifier in the pole position none other than lester johnson in that bad 55 bel-air the excalibur he goes 616 with a one at 232 miles an hour Wow. Um, There were 39 cars on the property, and that led to a bump spot that was 7.08 with a 3. So nice car count, uh, nice bump. That was was really an an impressive event. Again, it was super hot, and I know the conditions were not great, so could have had some lower numbers there, but uh, 7.08 is really nice um, that way. Kurt Frederick ends up your winner. He comes from the number 17 position. Um, he's got that beautiful burgundy uh, first-gen Camaro. Um, has Lester Johnson uh, first round, who was in the final of, at Indy last week, and gets by him. In the final, uh, Kurt goes 001 versus Dave Esposito's 005. It was a dead heat. Ultimately, uh, Timer said it was a tie, but Kurt gets the win. So congrats to Kurt Frederick for that win in Chicago. On the top dragster side, the number one qualifier out of Ladora, Iowa, in his 18 racecraft was Brandon Martinson. He goes 6'10 with a four at 226. Just so just flying. There were 31 cars on the property. 16 of those went 620 or better. 
for a 657 bump. And the winner for the second week in a row is Mike Coughlin. He gets the win over Bradley Green. He has got that Jegs machine rolling right now. He's got that supercharger set up, dialed 620, and just scooting and consistent as can be. So we got to have Mike come on and talk a little bit about his his setup because I know he likes where he's at right now. One other thing of note, uh, Luke Bogaki, our friend who came on the show last week talking about this is bracketracing.com, gets the win in Supercomp uh, at, at Chicago. So congrats to my man Luke and uh, way to go up there, all you guys in Chicago. Now, if we go south to Bristol, Tennessee for the Division Four event, um, we start with top sportsman and the number one qualifier was Jim Thorpe, and he brought out a new, beautiful Procharge Camaro. That thing is gorgeous. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, he he goes 659 with a one for the number one spot. There were not a bunch of cars there. I think the weather likely had something to do with it. There were only nine cars there, so um, the you know that that was not a tight spot there. But Jim. This car is gorgeous right off the lot there and goes 659 for the spot. And then he goes to the final where Lance Rutland gets the win. So congrats to Lance on winning top sportsman in Bristol. On the top dragster side, the number one qualifier was Bob Button, 610 with an 8. Nicely done there. Way to squeeze that in. There were 21 dragsters, 15 of whom went 630 or better for a bump spot of 735. Um, and your winner, Mario Bosch. Uh, we've had Darian on before. The old man says, let me show you how it's done. Nice work. He's got the old man game. It shows uh, everybody who taught Darian everything he knows. Nice work. Marion uh, Mario sorry, gets the win over Mark Jones in the final. They had identical reaction times, and it was a double breakout. Congrats goes to Mario Bosch, and uh, I know Darian was rooting him on the entire way. Nicely done, guys. Now let's go west. Let's go to Woodburn, Oregon for the Division Six NHRA event there. And in top sportsman, your number one qualifier from Irvine, California, in his mean 63 split-window Corvette, Doug Crumlich, he goes 689 at 201 miles an hour. There were 20 cars out there. Uh, Doug, as you may or may not know, was an early follower of the podcast. He is one of the very first guys to get in. And so uh, with that, we will have him on here in the next couple episodes to to talk about that mean machine and uh, how he went number one out there. There were 20 cars on the property. Um, ultimately, the winner was Joe Maloff. He goes 008 dead three over Don Sefton, and congrats to Joe. That's his second win of the year, so nicely done, Joe. Uh, on the dark side, the top dragster side, number one qualifier was Shane Molinari uh, from Battleground, Washington. He goes 613 with a seven at 225 miles an hour. There were 42 pipe racks on the property, so so – we would think that's a lot, but remember there is a 48 qualified field out there in Division Six, so the bump was a little slower, 839. The winner, though, Tanner Theobald, he goes 006 
on the tree to break out our hero, Paul Nero, for the final. Congrats to Tanner Theobald. Nicely done out there. Um, now, the other event that was on the agenda this last weekend was your Midwest Pro Mod Series event at the Extreme Raceway Park in Ferris, Texas. So for top sportsmen, your number one qualifier, remember this is eighth mile, our guy, Mick Schneider, comes on, goes 396 at 188 miles an hour. And um, they had 14 cars there. And I know what Keith Haney said when he came on. He said the drivers have to trust that we'll be there. And I know they're gaining on it. Um, they had 14 cars there. It was a little quicker field than it has been. He, he's put a lot of time into that. So I think that is going to work out there. They're getting closer to having a really nice bump spot. Um, but Mick goes number one. And the winner was Rudy Vedros over Mick in the final. Nicely done, you guys. And, um, you know, that is that, that, that is gaining on there um, out there with the top sportsman side in Midwest Pro Mod Series. So um, good job, fellas, out there. And on the top dragster side, your number one qualifier. He's been on the show. Big Steve McDermott. He goes 398. And qualifies number one. Ultimately, he decided to see what a two-piece crankshaft would look like, and so he would not uh, be able to finish that event. Um, so uh, hopefully Steve can get that back together. We are rooting for him to finish out the season. Um, we are really glad to have him on. Um, they did not have a huge turnout for the top dragster side, which is, is not that great because I know they had an unbelievable crowd. So the winner, who was ultimately Ron Scott, he wins over Chad Broom in the final. I know the crowd was great to watch those guys run in the final. So I'm we're rooting for that to continue to gain momentum. Um, all right, that's, that's it for this week. Um, the next week, we will cover the national event in Denver uh, for top sportsman, top dragster. And then we'll also cover the PDRA event at Dragway 42 in Salem, Ohio. And there's a double event in the NHRA Division 7 uh, out in Sonoma. So those guys will have a little bit of marathon, but uh, saves them some travel expenses. We'll cover all of that next week on the Half Track Report. Whoa, hey, let's get out of the groove here just a little bit with, um, and I'm really excited about this, um, Are he is your Number one, your very first Mountain Motor Pro Stock Champion in NHRA history. He is a multi-time number one qualifier in IHRA, ADRL, and XDRL extreme, extreme Pro Stock categories. He holds the IHRA Pro Stock ET and Speed records, and most recently was your Mountain Motor Pro Stock NHRA event winner in New England, Welcome to the show, John DeFlorian. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Rex. I'm uh, excited about being on the show today and talking with you and uh, all the folks. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, you absolutely are in the forefront of Mountain Motor Pro Stock and um, you know, are, have won the very first event, and then you just recently won at New England. Do you want to tell us how you got started in this category? You know, it's a, it's a pretty kind of funny story. I, I actually messed with uh, Pro Stock many, many years ago, and I'm talking about back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, that never really went anywhere. 
And uh, I was running uh, back in 2000, you know, six, seven, eight, and through that stretch there, 10 and so, we were, I was running a pro nitrous car. And my deal, it kind of wound down. And I was actually parked for about almost a year and a half to two years, not racing at all. And a good friend of mine come along, and uh, his name's Kevin Bialco, and uh, wanted to see me back in racing. And uh, gave me the option if I wanted to, you know, con- continue racing the uh, pro nitro stuff, I could, or if I wanted to run the Mount Motor Pro Stock stuff. And uh, and we were doing him a car at the time, and uh, we decided that uh, we would do a Mount Motor Pro Stock, and that way we'd have a two car team and and go out and see if we could do uh, do any good with that. And um, the rest is kind of history. But yeah, Kevin Bialco is one to kind of put me into the whole Mount Motor Pro Stock thing. I like it. And uh, for our listeners, talk us through those cars and the differences maybe between a mountain motor pro stock car and a pro stock car, which you're very familiar with as well. Yeah, uh, the differences from the the outside are minimal. Most people wouldn't really be able to tell the the mount motor car from a a conventional NHRA pro stock car with the exception that the uh, mount motor car has hood scoops and the NHRA car doesn't. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the cars look pretty much the same. Now, underneath, they're a bit different. In the chassis area, there's some stuff we do different because these cars here make a tremendous amount of power and a lot of torque. So there's a little some subtle changes within the chassis and driveline and things like that we do different. We run a much larger uh, tire, rear tire, than the 5-inch guys. And uh, so there are some subtle differences in that area. But, again, most of that's not even really uh, anything that anybody would be able to look and see and be able to tell the difference. Right. And so are those double frame rail cars for the most part? No, they really aren't. All, all of our stuff is conventional, uh, single frame rail, whether it's an NH Pro Stock car or if it's a Mountain Motor Pro Stock car. They're uh, basically identical in that area. Interesting. Okay. And, um, and from a transmission standpoint, we know the – NHRA Pro Stock guys are mostly running Liberties now, but um, what do you guys run typically? Most of us run uh, the Lincoln uh, transmission. Okay. You, you can run a Liberty, but the, the bulk of us, 95, 98% of us run the Lincoln. Okay. And it's a CS, it's basically like a CS3, and uh, it's a five speed style transmission. Gotcha. And from a cubic inch standpoint, um, the block and and you're limited to what 825 cubic inches is that correct that's right yeah and um and are those conventional chevy heads they're they're hemi heads how do those how are those mostly set up and what's the rule configuration there most of the mount motor cars are hemi style headed motors so the engines and these things are just massive obviously if you look at an nhra 500 inch car um which that's their limit uh, the motors are much smaller, although they're still considered big blocks, as these are. These are just, you know, they're mammoth compared to one of those engines. The heads are twice the size, and they're, uh, but they are a hemi-style headed motor. Yeah, and, and what's one of those weigh today? The car, complete car or just the motor? Yeah, just the complete car. So a complete car, our minimum weight we have to be is 2,400 pounds. Okay. And uh, the minimum weight that a 500 car has to be is 2,350 pounds. So pretty close there, and I think that's why the NHRA thought they could get the two classes together a little bit. Yeah, that actually, uh, what had happened and how this all came to be with the whole NHRA deal is that uh, they invited eight of us to run an exhibition format at the U.S. Nationals last year, and um, I was fortunate enough to be one of those cards invited. 
and um, we got to go up there and kind of run our cars as we do, as we race them right now. And they wanted to see what they would do um, at the same, you know, same facility, same property and everything as the five arms. But their, their intentions were to actually figure out a way they could slow our cars down a little bit and speed the 500 cars up a little bit. And they want to, they wanted to integrate us into one class as uh, just one pro stock class. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of figured out fairly quickly that it was going to be a very difficult task to slow us down enough and to speed them up enough to where it would make it uh, an even competition. Um, so they had uh, kind of decided that at that time um, it had really went over a little bigger than they were expecting. They got a lot of good positive feedback from the U.S. Nationals. So they uh, they approached us and said, hey, we want to do a four-race exhibition format, but you're racing for a Wally. You're racing, racing that way, but we want to run you just as you are, and uh, and we want to see how it goes. And that was the four races. It was Houston, Charlotte, Bristol, and Epping. Um so we were excited about doing that because it was going to be an opportunity for us to continue to race our cars as we have been racing them the whole time and not have to change anything. Um, well, I can tell you after, after the first race and first and second race, it had grown and gone like gangbusters. NHRA couldn't believe the response, the crowd response to it, the fans, they just went crazy about it. And, uh, so much to the point where NHRA was really taken back by it. And, you know, they're talking about, um, us having a six to eight uh, six to eight race season next year and, and a full normal you know competition and everything and uh, keeping us just as we are. Oh, that's fantastic! That is yes, really it is. Fun. It's very exciting. Uh, I mean, for those of us that run these cars to have the opportunity to do what we did get to do to this point to just be able to go out and run at the U.S. Nationals. I mean, I never thought there would be anything more from that. I thought that would be a one-time deal. And uh, then it's a turn into this four race exhibition thing this year. And the people have gone just, it's just amazing how well this has gone over. Um, you know, our pay, our pits are inundated with people at every rate. You know, they want to see what these things are about and how big they are. And they can't believe how fast they are because they're, when they're looking at them, they're, you know, considering them pro stock cars, but they're, they're obviously much faster than the NHRA pro stock cars. So it's really got their attention and uh, it's been great. And then, you know, so we got an opportunity to kind of, show our wares on the big stage, as we say, with running NHRA, and it's uh, been pretty spectacular. Yeah, and when you say you're quicker than the pro stock cars, what is how much quicker? About three-tenths, is that right? Yeah, a good three-tenths or so, uh, depending on the weather conditions. We're faster, and uh, we're about 10-mile-an-hour to 12-mile-an-hour faster, so there, it's a considerable amount different. Yeah, there, there's no doubt, but fans have embraced you have they not they have the, the fans have actually um taken us in they they're very curious about these cars want to know about them they want to see these engines and stuff we have them come into the pit area we let them come in and look and you know i hear all the time countless guys, people say i can't believe how big the engines are in these cars are just massive and uh so they really have liked it and you know, they were missing some stuff. They, they enjoy uh, seeing the hood scoops on the cars. They like seeing these cars. Their wheels up when they leave the starting line. They're, they're very un- unpredictable in a lot of situations. You'll see us uh, having to shut off because the car's heading to the wall or knocking cones out or something like that. And uh, from the spectator standpoint, the grandstand, they love that. They love seeing this stuff. And, uh, and these cars are. They're, they're a handful to drive. They, they really are. you got to really be on top of your game to drive these things because they are so powerful and fast. 
and um, but they're enjoyable, and the and the fans have really really taken to the class. Well, I was going to ask you about how much you think that the hood scoops add to the class, add to the popularity of the class. I mean, obviously, pro stock went away with the hood scoops. You guys have them. Do you, th- do you think that drives it? I do. I, I think it plays a big role in it. Um, you know, I go back to when I was uh, going to the racetracks many years ago as a kid and watching from the grandstands, and uh, and, I, and I don't think it's changed. People go to the racetrack as a fan, a spectator, wanting to sit in the grandstands, and they're driving their, their Camaros or their Mustangs out to the track, and uh, they want to see a car out on a racetrack that looks similar to theirs, but they don't want to see one that looks just like theirs. They want to see a race car. They want to see a pro. These mm-hmm. are pro cars, pro stock. And they want to see that. And uh, one of the things when you're sitting in the grandstand that's the most obvious that's different is these cars have gigantic hood scoops on them and big spoilers on the back and, you know, parachutes hanging off and wheelie bars hanging out the back. They, they look like race cars. Even though they might look similar to the car that they drove to the track that day, they know that there's a significant difference between that car that they're looking at and the car they drove to the track. Yeah, no, I, I... – I'm with you on that one. I think that's a big part of it. And you guys are still running uh, fuel injection on your cars, or are they all carbureted? Well, that's another interesting deal. And that's what's so what's so great about this class is that you can run carburetors or you can run fuel injection. So it's really your preference, And uh, which both of them, though, run hood scoops. And that's one of the things right there I hear probably the most out of the fans when they come by is they like seeing the hood scoops. They like seeing these cars with hood scoops on them. I can't tell you how many people told me, you know, that race cars are meant to have hood scoops. And um, so the way we are right now and the way we'll be, we'll always have hood scoops because we know that that's, a, that's something they identify with and they're, they enjoy and we enjoy as well. But we can do it on a set of carburetors or on a set of throttle bodies. And um, tell us a little bit about your car then. Um, do, do you guys – and this, I should know this maybe, but do, are you guys restricted like the pro stock cars are to a recent body style or can you run an older body style? We're a little bit more open with that because we, we don't want to alienate anyone. If a, uh, if a guy's got an older car or an older Cobalt or, you know, GXP or, you know, Mustang or, or whatever, they're, they're welcome to come in and run with us. And we have a number of guys that race Cobalt and okay. these other cars. And, uh, I think that helps because, uh, Again, if you're sitting in the grandstands, you're not going to see just all of one manufacturer, one particular car. You're going to see a bunch of different cars. You might see GMs, but you might have a GM Camaro out there. You might have a GXP out there. You might have a Cobalt out there, but they're all different body styles, and they like that. Then you throw in a Dodge, and you throw in some Mustangs. Then they really get excited because there are the diversity, and uh, and that's what people like to see. Uh, all of us are not necessarily Chevrolet fans, and all of us are not necessarily Ford fans or Chrysler fans. You know, so but if you come there and you are a Chrysler fan or you are a Ford fan, you can root for your car. You can root for the Mustang to beat the Chevrolet or the you know the Chrysler to beat the Mustang, whatever the case may be. And uh, and that's a that's a good thing for the spectator, for the fan sitting in the grandstands. It's a great thing, and for us as competitors, we like it too. We don't want to be racing next to a car that looks just like ours. We want to see some different stuff as well. There's no doubt. Um, but you're a Camaro guy, right? I am a Camaro guy. I am. A, uh, you know, through my life, I've raced all kinds of stuff. I've raced everything. I've had Chrysler's, Ford's, you know, Chevrolet's. I've had it all. Um, at, but as of right now, when this deal started for me in the Mount Motor Pro Stock deal, um, it, at that time back in 2011-12, um, the guy I was teaming up with, which was Kevin Bialco, we were uh, to do. We were doing Camaro's. 
and uh, and that's where we've we've built and we've stayed on that uh, all the way through. So yes, it's a uh, what twenty fifteen is that what you're driving now? Twenty fifteen Camaro? Yes, yeah. It was actually uh, it was actually originally a a twelve, and I updated it, you know, back in fifteen, and uh, um, so that's what it is. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, what's so? What's next for the class? Then you you said that NHRA is adding more events. Is that right? Well, they are. They're looking at adding. We're going to have uh, six to possibly eight races next year in NHRA. Uh, we don't know where yet. They're still trying to figure out the logistics and all that. But um, they definitely have enjoyed how well this has gone over, and they want to. Uh, they want us to continue to do what we're doing, and they want to continue to build the class. So uh, the future is extremely bright for Mount Motor Pro Stock. Uh, probably brighter than it's been in many, many years, to be totally honest. And, um, and that's good. And a lot of that's due to uh, NHRA putting us on the, on the big stage there and getting the exposure uh, to the class that we've gotten. Um, you know, we're on FS1. They've given us a lot of great TV time, and uh, that's exposing us to even more people. So uh, the, the class right now is really gaining serious momentum. I mean, it's not a day that goes by. We don't hear about another guy looking at possibly building or building a new car for the class or buying one that's already in existence, a team that might be setting. And um, so next year, the face of Mount Moore Postdoc is going to be very interesting to see the change in the, in the new names that are coming along. Yeah, I've heard um, some people coming out of the woodwork now to, to get in on board with this class. Um, so tell the listeners – what you do nine to five and if you're going to have hard time getting time off from the boss. <laughs> uh, well, I'm fortunate enough that I, I, I get to live my passion every day when I get up and uh, I go to work. To, I built, I work at Jerry Haas race cars in the shop foreman down there. Um, I've been there for uh, 31 years now. And um, so I get to build race cars all day long. And then uh, when I get off work and go home, I get to work on my own race car. So it's, uh, it's kind of a dream life for me. Um, I never thought that would ever happen, but it has. And um, they say there's a big difference when you go to do something you get you love to do every day. It's not a job. And uh, I'd have to agree. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to make a living and pay my bills doing something that I'm very passionate about and uh, something I love to do. Well, John, uh, you are living the dream, and we are going to root like crazy for you for the rest of the season. Um, thanks so much for coming on, um, and uh, appreciate your time and cluing us in a little bit, and uh, we're going to root like crazy for you. Well, Rex, I can't thank you enough for having me on. It's been a pleasure, and it's been a treat for me to be on. Um, love to be on again if we uh, get something going in the future and uh, get on there and talk some more about our class. And um, It's been great. So yeah. thank you very much for inviting me to be part of the show. Yep, you just got uh, roped into being a special consultant. Nice work. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's all right. Uh, as people probably already figured out, I, I like to talk, so it'll probably work out all right. <laughs> now that that is great stuff. That is great stuff from uh, the super hot John DeFlorian. Okay, as we hit the mile per hour cone, I want to take a minute and thank everyone who has come on the show so far. Every driver, every interview has been outstanding, and I truly appreciate it. Um, and I say that because I'm here, I'm listening to it, but I'm also getting the feedback saying these guys and girls are outstanding. Um, and when they came on, they didn't know. 
They didn't know how this show was going to work. I knew. I knew it was going to be a great show, but they didn't. And they said, yeah, we'll come on and let's do it. And it's been fantastic. Um, likewise, the feedback and listenership is exactly where I thought it would be. You have not disappointed. We are three months in. We've had 13 episodes now. And the next couple of months are almost set for our guests. Um, it is become a hot ticket to get in. People have been reaching out to me, wanting to get in, talk about their thoughts and feelings on the class. I get it. We are all plugged into this and want our investment to have an ROI. But if you want to get in, if you want to talk about your big win, if you want to talk about your thoughts on a topic or what could help the class, or you want to get in on the live show that we're going to do at Indy um, at the U.S. Nationals. We'll talk more about that later in another episode. But if you want to get in on that, get at me. Do not wait. Spots are filling up now, and I always default to the most passionate drivers, the most passionate engine builders, the most passionate chassis builders, the most passionate fans. And if you are a sponsor and you want to reach out to our specific top sportsmen, top dragster fanatics, hit me up. Let's talk. Let's see how we can help each other. Okay, it's time to take the stripe. That is the show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 13. And there it is, that beautiful illuminated wind light. We love it. That's exactly what we wanted to see as we went down the track today. Big thanks to Al Peevler and John DeFlorian for coming on. They were fantastic. Next week's episode is guaranteed to be even better. Um, and as always, um, help us out by subscribing on iTunes, subscribing on SoundCloud, like or following us on Facebook, and retweeting and follow us on Twitter. Uh, tell your friends about the show. It really is the best way for us to grow this thing. And um, Facebook seems like the best way for us to count our listeners. Um, but retreat, share, and let me know. And also make comments. I don't even care what you say. Say my car is fast. I follow directions. Uh, be fast or be last. I don't care. But uh, I love it when I get that feedback. Feedback, I should say. Um, hey, I hope you enjoyed it. Try to stay cool, keep the rubber side down, and travel safe. What's up, Fast Brackets listeners? This is Luke Bogacki for ThisIsBracketRacing.com. Listen, you have invested a ton of time energy, resources into your racing operation. It's no small feat to compete at the level and quite frankly at the speeds that you do on a regular basis. You deserve to see a return on that investment in terms of wind lights. That's where we come in. You've got incredible equipment. You don't need me to tell you how to go fast or how to get down the racetrack with a ton of power. In fact, you probably don't even need me to tell you how to hold 500s or drive the finish line like Jason Lynch. You've got awesome equipment, and you don't need to get too creative. But you need to hit the tree. That matters at every level of competition. I can help. Exclusively for Fast Brackets listeners, we're giving away one of our best reaction time trainings. 
for free. To take advantage, visit thisisbracketracing.com slash fastreaction. Again, that's thisisbracketracing.com slash fastreaction. Another fabulous show today, man. These guys are so good. Um, yeah, it makes it fun, and they're they're two good dudes. I've known them both for a long time, so uh, I, I'm really happy to have them on. And you got yourself a theme song now, too. <laughs> it's the greatest song that's ever been made, of course. I don't know about that. 